0: Amazing stories. You know, when I was uh, years ago, my kids actually were very little. At the time, I would tuck them in at night, and I would always tell them a story, right? That's what dads do. And uh, the stories I would usually tell them started off this way. When I was a little boy... And I'd tell them all, and the stories were true. Well, mostly they were true, but they didn't know the difference. That was okay. But there was zero ethical or zero moral uh, values. I wasn't trying to teach them a lesson. There was zero significance to the story other than its entertainment value, I'm sure. It was just about humiliating, stupid, dumb, dangerous, funny things that happened to me growing up. Um, but it's amazing how many times I would tell them the story, they didn't get tired of it. Now, maybe maybe they were pulling one over on me and just didn't want to go to bed yet, but but they kept, you know, tell us that story, Dad, about your pink underwear. You know, tell us that story about the, the green paint that got on your head or whatever. It's on and on. They We like a good story. And often we'll see the stories in movies. This is why we like movies because we can get out of our own world into their world and and project and become the person a little bit, cry and and laugh and cheer for them. Um, favorite movies? My gosh, um, what about Bob? I think is probably my, my one of my favorite movies. Uh, but you got Princess Bride up there and Shawshank Redemption and Life of Pi. I love the ending with that one. My favorite, probably a Christmas story. You know, you're shoot your eye out. Uh, what is your favorite movie? You got to tell the person next to you. Take just a second, break, talk to the person next to you. Tell them your favorite movie. You know, it's wild about movies. Have you ever, have you ever had this experience? You watch the movie, and then at night you dream about it. I mean, it's, it's, it, these, these stories make such an impact. More than you know, even subconsciously, they make a huge impact on you. Uh, these stories. Now, Jesus, when he was here on on earth, he was an amazing worker, worker of of amazing works, miracles. He uh, claimed some amazing things, claimed to be God. He died for us, rose, he's coming again, amazing savior, I think. But also, he was an amazing storyteller. Jesus told over 45 short stories. Amazing. Now, unlike my stories, that had no point, really. Jesus' stories, all of them, none of them for, were for entertainment value, though we use them that way sometimes. But Jesus' stories, all of them, had a divine principle in that story. that was the purpose of the story. And if you could embrace that principle and, and make alive in your life, Transformation. Now, uh, one of the stories that he told was about two different builders. Now, for unless you're a general contractor or you do construction or something, I mean, for you guys, building is probably easy. But for some of the rest of us, it's just not. My poor father, he had a, my dad had some incredible qualities, but a handyman was not one of them. His his father did nothing along those lines, and so my dad got those jeans and I got those jeans as well terrible well my dad and I at times he would want to do something though and so he would say he was gonna do something and then all of us boys started running because we knew we would be trapped into helping him do this and so my dad and I one time we tried to put a shower in our downstairs basement Oh, it was awful. I mean, it was. I mean, we lost so Actually, my dad lost his sanctification. I was not allowed to. Uh, but it was just a terrible thing. Anyway, I brought with with me my portfolio of some of my more successful plumbing projects that I have completed over the years. And you'll see, I'm not a handyman. It's. it's <laughs> I was so sure that this would. Okay, what's what's next? <sighs> it's, that faucet was just too short. What's the, It looked good on paper, I'm telling you. I suppose as long as you can't see their faces, it probably is all right, right? Uh, But the toilet seat was my addition to this one. All right, that's good. Um, I'm still not sure why we put that door on there. I'm not sure what purpose it serves. Now, this is if you have arms the size of an orangutan. Yeah. Uh, This is... Yeah, compact bathroom, I suppose. I was always told it was a throne, so we... Okay, let's let's make it a throne, and that didn't... Um, okay, and my... Now, innovation at its best here. Actually, I did not do that. I could not do it that well, just so you know. Pastor Dave Snyder sent me these this this week, so you know... I don't think they were his, his work either, but... Uh, and you all need to know, don't worry about it, the plumbers who did this are no longer in industry here in Erie, they, they're, they're like in office in Washington, I think. Okay, anyway, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, anyway, all that to say, you know, some things when we make a mistake, after the fact we can laugh at it, right? At the time when we made the, the, the shower fiasco, that was not funny at the time, I'm telling you. But afterwards it's funny. Or some things we can rip out and fix or whatever else. But there are some things that when you build them improperly, you can't just go back and fix, right? Some things that the fixing is is, is impossible in some situations. I think specifically of a, a life built. You know, you and I are in the building project right now. We're building our lives. We don't think of it this way always, but Jesus does. And in this story before us today, what he's trying to do is he wants you and I get to get to the end as we build our life with zero regrets. And so he's going to give us the formula, the idea for, for uh, no regrets as we build our life. It's, it's an encouraging deal. Now, this parable specifically... Um, Jesus tells some to Pharisees, he tells some to to people who are just listening, He, he warns about all kinds of things, but this parable is fascinating, warns us of the danger of God's word. You don't really think of it like this. Now, let me back up a second and kind of put a disclaimer. I grew up in a very conservative Bible church. Bible studies and stuff were my life. I I went to Awana. I got the Timothy Award. I was in Bible quiz for years. Memorized books of, of the Bible. Went to several different Bible colleges. Led all kinds of Bibles. I'm for the Bible. Please don't leave here today saying Pastor Mark is not interested in the Bible. I am for the Bible and Bible study. However, if your heritage is like mine, we run a danger. And that is making the study of God's word an end in itself. I'm going to have quiet time. Okay, check it off. Okay, let's move on with the rest of the day. I'm going to go to that study. Okay, that was nice. Check it off. I'm going to move on the rest of the day. It, it's easy for us to do that. Um, where, where Monday morning, really, our life is no different than it would have been if we went to church or, or not the, next, the day before. You know what I'm saying? We heard the word of God, but it has zero impact on our life. Uh, zero We've got to keep in mind that the word of God is like a windshield. Okay, it's, it's not necessarily just to stare at it and study. The goal of the windshield is to help you see clearly. If you go down the road, you leave this morning, you drive out on Zimmerly, and you're focusing on your windshield, you probably will end up in the ditch. The goal of, of the windshield is not for you to see it. It's to see clearly other things. And this is what God's word is supposed to be for us And so Jesus tells us this parable, two builders, the danger of God's word. If you got your Bible, will you turn with me, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And let me give you something that will help you as far as context. Jesus just told his Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And this portion that we're going to read this morning is his conclusion to his Sermon on the Mount. He's already told the sermon, he's going to drive it home, he's going to wrap up, he's going to be his his final point here, it's this, this parable. Concludes with a story, it's a good thing to conclude with, I'm always told. Chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Someone should write a song about that, right? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I think we can see at least three similarities between these two builders, right? First of all, they, they had the same goal. Their goal was to build. They, they were going to build a house. These guys were more than just wannabe builders. They actually built it. Their goal was to build a big. Now, the house can represent um, a household or, or most probably it represents a life. And so both these guys were, were building their life. And they were, they were going to... You know how you start off when you're young and you're going to build your your life. They're they're building their life. Uh, Values and philosophies and theologies that don't just direct, really, their life, but will determine their life. They're building their their life. They're builders. They're building their life. Another similarity we see with these guys is that they had the same church. You'll notice that they both listened to the words of Jesus. It's important because he's not Jesus is not comparing a Christian person and an atheist person. Okay? He's not comparing someone who goes to a conservative Bible believing church and someone who goes to a liberal church. He's not comparing somebody who is in church Seven days a week and somebody who just shows up once or twice a year. He's not going that way. He's comparing people who go to the same church. And they're in the same Bible study. And their, their pastor is Jesus. They're listening to the words of Jesus. Both of these guys are listening to the words of Christ. It's important for his comparison. That's where, that's where we come in. Because we, sure we listen to the words of Jesus, right? A, a final similarity you see with these guys is they got the same storm. It says that uh, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Those exact same words are used for both, both guys. It's not like one guy had a uh, storm-free zone and the other guy built in the middle of Tornado Alley. No, no, no. Both of these guys had the exact same storm. Not one guy's house, a little bit of drizzle, the next guy hit a hurricane. Exact same storm. Hit these guys' house. I would say they're probably living in the same neighborhood. They probably live within proximity. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between these guys. There are some differences with these folk as well. The first is character, right? One guy is called a wise man, the second guy is called a fool. Now, the, the wise man in scripture has nothing to do, right, with IQ. Wise in Scripture has nothing to do, you know, if you went to Harvard, if you have a, a career in scientific research, it has nothing to do with, your, are you published? Do you uh, have lots of awards and a PhD? Wisdom in Scripture is not those things. Wisdom in Scripture, according to what Jesus says here, is hearing the words of God and then overlapping them with your life, Right? You take the word of God, you understand it, you hear it, and then you kind of like put it over your life so that how you make your decisions, what you say, what you do, how you live your life, the things that come at you, you filter all of your decisions through the word of God. And as you do that, Jesus says, you're wise. Now, there's a foolish person as well. Now, the fool, it's important that we know, the fool may have gone to the same school that the wise person went to. Fool may have been to a more uppity school. The the fool here may be CEO of a Fortune 100 corporation. The fool may have uh, multiple works in in publication. The the, the, the fool may be an incredibly uh, intelligent person. But scripture, when it calls someone a fool, is not pejorative like that. What he's saying is, in this context, it's someone who hears the word of God. They listen. They just don't, just doesn't overlap their life. Monday morning rolls around and there's really, whether they went to church or not, it's almost irrelevant. You, there's no change that's happened Monday because of what they heard. Sunday. When they have quiet time, if they spend time alone in God's word, their life really doesn't shift or change that day. There's a, there's a clear line of demarcation between knowing and showing, between between learning and living. They just There's just that line, it, it's separated. And Jesus this is a warning that if in fact you decide to live your life in such a way what he's going to say is another difference is you're building on a faulty foundation and notice one guy built his house on on stone on on rock matter of fact this parable is also found in Luke where the guy dug down deep to find the rock it's not we, we like Bible study that is microwave Bible study right? easy quick I got it I got five minutes Lord come on read it I got it okay I'm out of here we don't like crockpot bible study. We don't have who's got time for that? Ain't nobody got time for that kind of thing. And so he he's he's saying, "No, it's not the way it works. It's not it's not the way it works. The the, the foundation it makes all the difference. I'm guessing that the the man B he built his house uh, probably not with shoddy workmanship, shoddy re- uh, resources, shoddy materials. This guy may have have cherry cabinetry. He may have a bigger house than the first guy. I'm sure that he focused and he planned, and it was an incredible home. He just didn't give any attention to the foundation. In 1174, Bonanno Pisano, who is an Italian architect, built his most famous work. You know of this guy, at least you know what he did. His job was to build a standing uh, eight story bell tower for the Cathedral of Pisa. Uh, problem is he had to build it in Pisa. The word Pisa means marsh. It's a swamp. And so he's building this thing. They got about three stories up, and they realized it started already started leaning. And they said, oh, no, what are we going to do? So the, the, the upper stories, they kind of moved them over. They adjusted them a little bit to try to keep this thing from going over. Uh, it had leaned 18 feet. Before some, gravity should have pulled it down at that point, but some engineering marvel stuff moved it. It's only leaning 14 feet today, but it's still moving at a 20th of an inch a year. And so the prognosis for the Leaning Tower of Pisa is one day it will come down because any building built on shoddy foundation is coming down sooner or later. Uh, Any any life built on a shoddy foundation is going to come down sooner or, or later. Um, March 2nd, 2012, was a rough day for tornadoes. If you were in Kentucky or Indiana, Lawrence County, a grandma and her 14-year-old granddaughter were crushed when their double-wide mobile home was thrown into a nearby hill. Uh, it was in uh, uh, Lawrence, Kentucky. Lawrence, Indiana. Lawrence, uh, Scott. Excuse me, Scott, Kentucky. Scott, Indiana. Uh, a man was killed when his uh, mobile home was thrown across a busy road by very very strong winds. It was in New Peak in Indiana that a family of five were killed when they were thrown out of their mobile home. Uh, mobile homes are, are wonderful things in many ways, but the problem with mobile homes is they are not... Uh, There's no foundation. They're mobile. That's the whole deal. They're not tied down. And so it's fine when it's sunny or when it's just raining a little bit, but to be in a mobile home when a tornado is coming your way is a dangerous, dangerous place to be because there's no foundation. Between 2006-2011, 834 people in the United States were killed by tornadoes. 31% of them were in mobile home parks Which is amazing because mobile homes only represent 8% of the uh, housing in the country. It's because mobile homes are, are just, they're not storm proof. In 1991, a tornado hit Andover, Kansas. When it was done, 84 frame homes were destroyed. But then the, the tornado turned into a trailer park. 200, all, all 223 trailers were, were decimated. Of the 13 people who were killed in Andover, Kansas, when a twister hit, all 13 of them were from the mobile home park. Mobile homes, if you don't have a foundation... Do you have the wrong foundation? Now you got to know the folk in those homes. I'm guessing they were having dinner that night. They were playing games maybe, doing homework, thinking about tomorrow. No clue, no clue how a lack of foundation could put them in such peril. And that's what Jesus, I think, is warning you and I for. You go going through life, life is fine, it's okay. If it's sunny, if it's a little bit of rain, we're okay. But Jesus is saying, you, you need to know that when the big one hits, If you're not on foundation, you will be crushed. And for us, we might say, well, we're just going to go through life kind of hoping the big one doesn't hit. Personally, I think what Jesus is referring to here when he's talking about storms, is he could be talking about trials in life. But I think when you look at the context, primarily he's referring to the final judgment. He says, there will be a storm one day. When your your life would be... Isn't isn't Corinthians tell us this, that your life will be subjected to to see what it was about, and all the wood, hay, and stubble, all the things you built your house of will be burned up. Only foundation stuff will remain. The result also was different with these guys. Not just their character, not just the foundation, but of course the result. The wise man's house, maybe lost some shingles, who knows. But it stands, it's firm. The foolish guy's house, house of cards, it's, it's, it's done. Now, you, you look at this and you say, well... Uh, I'm still not sure. Because how many times have we heard these type of messages in church? I mean, it's, and it's interesting that this is one that Jesus hammers over and again because our uh, propensity to ignore it. And it's easy just to say, you know what, I just don't see the need. Let me give, let me give you three, three verses. And if you've got one of those pens in front of you, this is a great place to write some stuff down because these three verses are huge. They're key for how this plays out in our life. Let's go first verse. Peter's writing, all three of these verses are going to be by three different authors, by the way, just so you know. Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. A lot of stuff in that, that section, but let's focus on verse 2 for, for a moment. If you're a believer, he says... Peter says, "If you're a believer, he says, as newborn babies, you, you need to you, you need to long for. Now, how does a baby long for milk? Ah, right, we know how a baby longs for milk. Now, does a baby care of what his hair looks like? Before the baby leaves the house, is he really concerned? Like, Am my dress matching with my shoes? No, probably. Does the baby care if he's wearing shoes? No, a baby doesn't care what, if it's got a name brand car seat or if the stroller is, is Playmobil or Fisher-Price. The, the baby does not care about those things. The baby cares for one thing, milk, right? It, it, but that's what Peter is telling us here. He's repeating this, a lot of stuff Jesus said that your primary goal should be the word of God. Everything else is secondary. Your your desire for the word of God should not be an afterthought. You know, after school, after work, after resting, after TV, after entertainment. I'll get to it after. See, I'm too busy. A baby went that way would die, wouldn't it? It it knows. I've got to go. It's got to be number one. The milk has got to be number one. And that's what Peter is saying our response ought to be. Now, a baby's not just screaming for milk because it's disciplined and likes to keep the priorities. You know, let's keep first things first. It's not screaming just because it's ornery. It, it's screaming, it needs the milk, right? It's not just a want. I like the taste. It's, it's, it, it needs it. It gets nourishment and antibodies and, and, and the, the things that will help the baby grow if the baby doesn't have that milk. It's it's not going to be able to grow. It's not going to be healthy. It's not going to survive. And what Peter is saying to us is without a steady diet of the word of God, you know what? You're not going to grow. And you're just not going to be healthy. And you're not going to survive. You know, in this... In this I don't know if it's just in our country or if it's in the world right now, all kinds of health issues these days, right? If you notice this, the, the allergy issues that are going on and the health issues that are going on, lots of bad health out there. I wonder if that's a picture of the church spiritually today. A lot of anemic Christians, a lot of, a lot of shallow Christians, a lot of unhealthy, but they don't even know it because they haven't built on the foundation it's lots of junk food, spiritual junk food perhaps, but they haven't built on the foundation of, of truly God's, God's word. Therein is, is an issue. So you, you, you say, well, let's look at this next verse. It's a great verse. John twenty thirty 30 and 31. Just let's look at this. Focus on this for a second. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The stuff that's written here, I'm looking at the verse right, is written in order that I may believe. You want a strong faith? You've got to focus on what's written. Isn't that what the... And if you focus on what's written, and you, your faith gets stronger, then what will be the result? What's well, life? You want life? You want it abundantly? How are you going to get it? Well, we think sometimes it's like a second blessing thing. and I'm just going to like wait, and you, you, somebody, um, and God is somehow going to zap me with stuff. And I'm just, and if I don't have it, see, it's because God hasn't zapped me. It's His issue, and He's saying, no, no, no. These are written so that you can have life. So if you ignore that which is, is written. Don't plan on having abundant life. It's don't have, plan on having a strong faith. It just this is the way it comes. This is the way God designed it. It's the way He worked it. First Thessalonians two it says for this reason. This is Paul. It says we also constantly thank God when we uh, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but for what it really is the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Notice that last line. The word of God performs its work in you who believe. The word of God has a job to do. Its purpose is, is to, to sanctify, to grow, to take... He's already told us that our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our, twist, our thinking is twisted. and so He's going he's to fix it. He's going to straighten it out with the, the word of God. When you, when you accept the word of God as the word of men, you know what? It becomes an option. You know, I listen to Bill O'Reilly. You listen to Russ. You know, pick a talking head we listen to, and ah, interesting. Sometimes we put God's word in that same category. Ah, interesting, maybe, maybe. We'll, but if you realize this is really the word of God, I mean, if there really is a God, and He really did write you a letter, wouldn't that be pretty huge? Oh my, god oh, oh my goodness! That would that would shift and change everything. So sometimes this doesn't work for us because of. Uh, uh, we don't see it's the value of Scripture. And, uh, second reason why it doesn't work though is sometimes we're not sure what to do. I mean, have you ever you hear people say, "You know what? I tried. Listen, I tried what you're saying. I made all these big uh, covenant, and I'm going to always be in God's Word. And so every morning I'm getting up earlier, and I'm opening, and, and uh, morning after morning I tried, and nothing happened. And I was looking at it, and I didn't get anything out of it. And I just looked at it, and a cold letters would page blank back at me. So you know what? I'm just done with it. I'm just, I just, I just, it's, it's not me. Sorry, tried. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. If you're in calculus class, okay, and they slap you down with that big old honking calculus textbook, and they open it up, and you, you look at this page. Now, unless you're one of the Seven of y'all who sicko type people who can figure this out, the rest of us are going, oh, geez, Louise, what is this? I could almost do with the numbers, but then when they went to letters, I struggled. Now they got rid of the letters, and there's all kinds of goofy symbols, and it's like, what is this? What does it mean? And you stare at it, and you, you say, okay, I'm just not concentrating hard enough. So you really stare, and after 15 minutes, you know, it still says what it says. So I just, I close the book, done. It's not me. I can't get it. I tried. It's a now, what if I said, okay, but this page, this calculus page, we're going to do a test on it in two weeks. And if you can score 95 on this, you will get $3 million. You start thinking, $3 million? I can retire, and I can take care of kids' college stuff, and there's braces things, and there's some bills I've got to pay for, and there's, uh, of course, i got to give a lot of it to the church. And, got to do, and you start thinking through all this kind of stuff. $3 bucks. So let me let me... Let's fast forward now to the time of the test. Are you not going to be ready for that test? You know, I am not a math person, but I'm going to learn this stuff. I'm going to know it. I'm going to walk in there. I'm either going to know it, or I'm going to kill myself making sure doing everything I can. I'm going to call people. I'm going to bribe stuff. I'm going to put barbed wire around my office. Unplug my phone. Throw my cell away. I'm sticking with this till I learn it. I'm going to call on YouTube, everything. I'm going to know. I'm going to do everything I can to know because there's so much on the line. How about... God's word. When we look at it, and this was because it looks at me and goes, I don't know what this means. There's so much on the line. you got to do everything you possibly can do to get something out. I'm just, I'm going to do what i got to do. I'm not even sure what that is, but I'm going to learn. Wouldn't it be great commitment to, to know in our heart between us and God? God, would you show me wonderful things in your law? but you need to know something, God? I don't advise this prayer. But even if you don't, I'm going to knock myself out to learn what exactly what it says, and I'm going to know it. That kind of a spirit, I'm not so sure God is angry with. I think, again, we like the microwave stuff. I'm going to give it a couple minutes. Okay, nothing, we're done. I think God is showing, uh, we're showing God how much we really care. Proverbs 2 lets us know that when we look into God's word, search for it as you would search for hidden treasure. If you know that there's treasure, you look, you will look very hard. So uh, let me share with you, there's lots of ways to, to, to do this. this but let me share with you something that kind of revolutionized my uh, personal Bible study. Uh, and uh, first thing you need to do, on your way home today, you need to stop off at Walmart, pick up a spiral notebook, okay? Spiral notebook, Walmart. Now I know some of you, I just already lost you. There, that was all I had to say. You're like, oh, okay, we're done. Okay, I, am, I do not write stuff down, right? I'm not a journal type person or a mushy field means. am not, not, not me. I'm not going on this world. Listen, I'm guessing, don't be me I'm wrong. If you go to college, you're not going to get through unless you're a note taker. Unless you're, you're opening the notebook, writing something down. If you want to get through, this is what. It, if you want to learn the material, this is what I suggest. Lots of ways to do this, but that's what I would suggest. Give yourself a spiral notebook. Then set aside a time. Come to the Bible. I would start with John, but whatever you, you start. Um, and what you're looking for is this. You're looking for a, they call it a literary unit. What you got to keep in mind is all those numbers on the pages, those were not there when these guys initially wrote it. So sometimes those cripple us. Don't be too hampered by that. What you want to do is find where does this thought begin and where does the argument or the thought or the story end. Like if you're doing David and Goliath, you're dealing with a couple of chapters. If you're dealing with a proverb, sometimes you're dealing with a single verse because that's a whole different thought. The next next verse. So you want to figure out the, the literary unit. Okay, if you're wondering how far do I go and how long, don't just read until the, all the time is up. Sometimes it may be longer or shorter, but stick on that literary unit. So you find the literary unit. You read it over, and then you're going to ask yourself three questions. These are simple questions. This is not rocket science stuff. You don't have to have a degree in, in Hebrew to know this, get this down. First question you're going to ask yourself is, what is the, we call it, I call it the depravity factor? And what that means is this. There's no empty, wasted words here, Right? every single text, not necessarily every single verse, but every literary unit, every argument, every story, is there for a reason. And according to 1 Timothy, we have every text is given for reproof, for rebuke, or correction, or training. Which means this. It means you and I somehow have a distorted view of stuff. Either because of the fall we don't understand it all, or we understand incompletely, or we understand in a wrong fashion altogether. And it's God's word here where it's to straighten that up. Help us to see God's way. So what you want to do is you want to write down the depravity factor. What is the, the tendency, propensity I have as a fallen believer? Why is this text written? That's, second question you want to write down is called the divine factor. Because every single portion of scripture... Tells us something about God. He's the author. So it tells us something about God. His values, his idea. It may just straight up tell us something about his, his character. But, but what is that? What does this tell me about God? And then there's the third question. You've got to write this one down. If you do the first two, that's just knowing it. That's not showing it. You've got to get to that show it question, which is, which is the do factor. And that is this. Okay, I, I got this down. The depravity, the d- divine factors got that. How does this look in my life today? If you don't write this one down, you've lost it. Now, let me give you an example. You're on Ephesians five, twenty-five. Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Well, you look at that and you go, okay, what's the depravity factor? Why was this text given in the first place? Well, is it possible that as a husband, I don't have a tendency to love my wife the way I'm supposed to? Maybe I think I'm loving her, but maybe what I'm doing is trying to manipulate, get her to uh, be kind to me, or, or do something for me, or uh, agree with me later on. Maybe I just want to uh, not get her angry. Maybe, maybe I, I'm doing this for selfish reasons. Is it possible? I think it's very possible, right? Uh, as fallen people, I can, I can fail easily with this one. So you say depravity factor. This is given because my propensity is to not love my wife correctly. It's just not. Um, if I go on default system, we're all in trouble. All right, what's the divine factor? Well, why did he put this? Well, love your husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, I can say... Obviously, he loved us so much that he, he died for us. The, the Jesus didn't use the church. Jesus didn't uh, expect the church to serve him. Jesus, Jesus died for them and served them. That's how much God loves me. Divine factor, God, God loves me in crazy ways. Uh, the do factor. Okay, so you start thinking. Okay. Well, my wife's been wanting that fence fixed. She hasn't been on me or nothing, but I just know she really wants it fixed. I noticed that the windows are pretty filthy in the house. So what I'm going to do is this Saturday, I'm writing this down, this Saturday, I'm canceling my golf game, and I'm going to, I know, know—don't no gasps. Okay, I'm canceling my golf game. I'm going to fix that fence in the morning, and then the afternoon, I'm going to do the windows, and then the evening, I'm going to take her out for dinner. Now, first service, somebody said, Amen! Okay, we don't need to go down that road. (laughs) But uh, that is doing it. That is taking the word of God and, and overlapping it with my life. Because of this principle, because of, of God's word, this is my life will be different. It will be something other than it would have been had I not been in it. Let me give you another example because much of what we come across in scripture is narrative, which is like history we, we read. Um, it's difficult, a little bit more difficult. But John chapter 4, you, remember, you know the story. Uh, Jesus is at the well in Samaria. His disciples all went to like Wegmans to get something to eat. And so Jesus is there. And lo and behold, this woman shows up. And she's uh, a Samaritan, which the Jews hated. She's a woman, which in that culture at that time was very, very low, low, low class. A man should never be associating that way, especially a Jewish man. She was a woman of ill repute. She had had five husbands, and the husband she had now that she was living with was so social anathema all over the place with this gal. Um And then Jesus talks with her, and when she leaves, she has found grace, she has found forgiveness, she's got life changed. she's an evangelist. I mean, just a major change in this gal. So you go back and you go, okay, uh, depravity factor. What's a depravity factor? Well, I think as human beings, looking at this gal's life and all of her relationships, as human beings... Don't we have a tendency to draw our significance in our relationships? And the scale has a relationship, and, and, and then she has another one, and that one didn't work, then another one, and, and still didn't find what she was looking for, and on and on and on. And, and maybe you're faithful to your spouse, and you're saying, that's, that's not me, but maybe mentally we think, you know, if I just had so-and-so else, if, I just, if there's this other person. See, then life would be so much better. Uh, The depravity factors. We look for our significance. We look for greener grass in different relationships. I think that's a good one to put down in the depravity factor. God, divine factor. You you know, what's interesting about this passage in John 4 is this is the longest recorded one-on-one conversation Jesus has with anybody. That's a telltale deal. That's not an accidental thing. That uh, A Samaritan... A woman, a woman of ill repute. Jesus spends more time in Scripture with her. Now, he doesn't okay her sin. You know the story. He calls her out on it. Lots of grace, lots of forgiveness, lots of mercy. He loves her. This is the way God treats us. The do factor is, okay, is there somebody in my life who I don't think really well of? Maybe I've said th- some things about this person. I definitely thought different things about this person. I, I, One way or another, I think they're lower than me. I just treat them. How do I reflect this text with this person this week? You write it down. How are you going to serve and be kind to that person this week? And what's happening is you're taking the word of God and you're overlapping it in your life and you're building your life on rock, Jesus says, "You're a wise person." When the storms hit in this life, when the storms hit with the final judgment, you know what? There'll be a radical difference. That which will stand is that which reward will be. That's a different different message. But l- let me uh, ask you: Are you building right now on sand? or on stone. We've got all of our studies kicking in, men's studies, women's studies, life groups, Sunday schools kicking in. All these things are going back on. We're getting back into studies. It's a good thing. Studying God's word is a good thing. But according to this text, if we just know it but don't show it, it's a dangerous thing. And I don't know if we can kick into a, a new season without this warning of Jesus. He's not saying don't go to study. <laughs> That's not what he's not saying. But he's saying you've got to go. But you got to show it. His words, not just for entertainment. 1974 uh, TV series starring Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. What was the name of the series? The Hulk, yeah, based on a Marvel comic. And you remember, Bill Banner, I think it's Bill Banner, right? He's in the, uh, the, Dave Banner, whatever his name is. He's, he's in the uh, laboratory and he's exposed to gamma rays, so they always work out this way. And so he's a fine guy and things are going great until you get him mad or you get him upset in some way and suddenly he hulks out. He turns seven feet tall and 330 pounds and he's green and he's just, ah, he's massive guy, right? It's the word they use is metamorphosis, which is to change. It's the same word you find for a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. I still, when I think about this, amazing, amazing, amazing. It goes through a metamorphosis, it changes. That same word we find in, in uh, Romans 12, where he says, Don't be transformed, or don't, be re- re- don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed, be metamorphosized. By the renewing of your mind, it's by pushing God's word through our mind, seeking to apply it, that we're changed. And Jesus says, When that happens, now, can you, ma- can you imagine a, a, a church? Can you imagine a pastor? Can you imagine uh, uh, who takes God's word like that and says, God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, how can my life reflect your word like this? Can you imagine what kind of an impact he's called this to be light? We could be so much brighter light, right? He's called us to be salt. We could be so much saltier salt in this world. This is our job. This is not something that his spirit may do. He's going to use us. And so, again, the question, are we building on sand? Are we building on rock? New ministry year ahead of us. We've got some key decisions to make. Would you pray with me?